Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. G'day, Nina. How are you? Good, Andrew. We're doing a lot of this this week, aren't we? I know. So just so you know, if you go to our website, we did the job summits analysis. So there's a short video that goes through the major major things that have occurred. Next week, we've got Kim and I yeah. looking at an in-depth dig on workers' comp premium, the new commission rules that come out, one that most people don't understand actually how to get the best premium in workers' compensation. So, And Kim is the only lawyer who has that skill in the whole of Australia. So we're yeah. pretty lucky to get her and to steal her away from being at home with the children. Yeah, make sure you tune in so she has to come on more regularly. Yeah, we'd like that. <laughs> we could have a break. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, the other part that I thought was funny, I'm sure you think this is funny, but... You know, we're all doing virtual work at the moment and you'd hope everyone would make sensible and good adjustments, wouldn't you? And yeah. I was sitting in my favourite cafe listening to a judge and barrister talking about how the judge was furious that while a person was in virtual court, a secretary's hand appeared with a coffee, <laughs> coffee, coffee table and he stopped them and told them off. Now, he would allow junior counsel to pour a glass of water, but of course virtually Junior counsel's hand can't pass through <laughs> cyberspace to do that. But can you imagine how dumb that is? I mean, if you gave me coffee in the middle of a trial, I'm better. <laughs> That's like sticking adrenaline in my arm. It's, you're getting, anyway, that shows how dumb and how badly adjusted we are. You know, virtual practice, these are workplaces, whether you're a lawyer, whatever yeah, you are. I never remember a, that. Yeah. Anyway, I've only started my rant because I really <laughs> want to get into ranting about this subject you picked up, which was quite quitting. Yeah. I remember about three weeks ago we said I was concerned this would be another pejorative term. We saw it with cancel use of cancel culture. We saw it with uh, political correctness. We saw it with work-life balance where something which is benign and good like protecting vulnerable people became politically correct, where when someone did something bad and they were prosecuted publicly for it, it became cancel culture because mm. sexual harassment, after all, was not a bad thing. So this crazy stuff where main news networks get hold of stuff and take something which is a descriptor of what is good behaviour. Yeah. Like quitting is people making a decision to live a balanced life, work hard, look after their job, but understand there are other parts of their life that should that are be important invested. as well. And as we've said before, the evidence is overwhelming that you have high productivity and retention by actually celebrating. And that is our culture. Yeah. That's, the, that's our culture. We are the quiet quitter revolution. Yeah. So Anyway, I just thought I'd rant about that because sure enough, LinkedIn has gone off its chop and <laughs> there's now everyone's saying quiet quitters are a menace, you know. No, they're not. They're just <laughs> the more adaptive people and they're the generation coming through who are our future leaders saying there are smarter ways of doing work smarter. Why would we hurt them? Yeah, it's just a more innovative way of working and it's working. Yeah, it's working really well. So, look, that's my rants and I'm only allowed to have <laughs> one and I snuck two in there. <laughs> We did see recently with um, the Rochelle Miller case, the first publicised non-use of a non-disclosure in settlement. And this was the political staffer who said she was sexually harassed and bullied. And discriminated against. Because yeah. Of that, yeah, and so she got a 650000 claim but made it very clear there was no confidentiality around disclosure of the amount. And so it raised the question which is an interesting question because in Victoria there's about to be some regulation coming through about not being able to have confidentiality for settlement sums, not for what occurred, but for settlement sums in sexual harassment cases. We've seen there are already existing but much lesser laws in California and Pennsylvania. There's emergent laws coming in New York, and New Ireland. Jersey and yeah. Ireland. 
So this is something that happened. And the question you have to ask, Nina, is, is it a good thing that you can't hide a settlement in a sexual harassment claim? What do you think? Look, I think it's interesting because it's kind of taking away the option, at least the way that the Victorian government is now intending to draft it, especially because often settlement amounts are used as a negotiation tactic for restitution. And our concern is if that's taken away, it's very possible that victims will have to fight through the courts to get what they actually deserve. And if not to, to get that extra settlement out, there's plenty of lawyers pressed for higher amounts and saying, but we won't disclose if you pay a higher amount. Yeah. My difficulty with it, Nina, is we've spent 60 years from when rape was actually a property offence against a husband or father. Only 60 years? 60, 60, yeah. Oh, my gosh. To get into a stage where we understand that people who are the victims of sexual assaults in any type need to be protected, their their identity needs to be preserved. So under non-disclosure rules, what it will do, my fear is this is, that it will prompt part of our profession, which is the plaintiff part of the profession, to monetise victimhood and therefore deliberately publicise what has occurred to a woman to gain notoriety. And I I guess, so I think this is a terrific way of saying to people, if you hurt women, it will get out. It's a good thing. Yeah, it's Do you know a what I mean? But are they finding this balance, which means that we don't parade sexually harassed victim for the purpose of someone else's benefit, that really does bother me. Anyway, they're the sort of, that, that's the interesting debate, and it's happening throughout the world now where people are saying we've got to find a method of discouraging sexual harassment. The best way is by telling people what was paid yeah. because that shames the people who are involved. We need to balance that against the need to protect victims who are vulnerable and damaged, hurt people, and find probably a better method of dealing with them. Yeah. And I don't actually know what that answer is. Well, it should be their option when they decide happen. to, and it's not really the discussion that's being had. Now, we've got the new COVID WHS restrictions, and everyone knows what they are in Victoria. It's now down to five days of clear symptoms. Rather than talk about that, because I know you're COVID bored. <laughs> Um, we've got a document which we'll get Soph to send out to you. So let's move on to the next one, and they'll do every state and territory for you. With changes. With changes. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a bit slow today. It was, it was a lot of a lot of wine last night. It was a lot of wine last night. And thank you to the genius listeners who took me through yeah. that pain. That was the quiet quitting life. <laughs> <laughs> I should have quit quieter. I understand that. Next part about it is. This is a case which I think stinks, and you and I disagree on this case, all right? So let's 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 hear both sides. So this is Breton Transit Australia. This is a bus driver who had three young kids come on, yeah. one carrying what appeared to be a weapon. Well, it was a just metal that, rod. Just, this is, no, you know, you have a metal rod in your eye. It doesn't work, okay? The bus driver had a genuine concern but then did some things to try and get the kids off the bus, including making up... No, not get the kids off. He wouldn't let them on. We wouldn't let them on. But, yeah, I mean, he did it for a reason. I think he had a genuine concern, but then he told some pretty bad lies to the kids. And there was a policy, which is no children left behind policy. Yeah, for their safety. Which he clearly breached. He was dismissed for getting rid of them off the bus. Serious misconduct. Yeah. Nina reckons that's a good outcome. And... My own. I think I can see the valid reasons why. All I say is it's very easy to to look in retrospect without being present, and we say that's the nature of courts, and that's why courts are not helpful because they cannot stand in the shoes of the wrongdoer at the time and know what was in their mind. But this guy felt, and we don't know what caused that, a genuine concern around these kids. Now he did breach the policy. The policy was. The type of golden rule style policy, in other words, you breach it, you're out. 
he failed and he was lawfully terminated and that's what was found in the Fair Work Commission. So it's good on two levels. One is it says golden rules work. Yeah. Which is terrific. If they've got valid evidence of it and they had CCTV footage which showed they hadn't been aggressive or anything and he failed to de-escalate the situation, he actually escalated himself. Yeah. So I'm sort of with Nina on that, but I I just (laughs) keep raising this concern that when people make decisions because of fear or other things, it's very hard to objectify that concern, which is often very genuine. And the issue really for this company is when you're looking at someone who's genuinely concerned about something, is termination the right outcome or is some actually digging deeper and finding out what the problems were and maybe a final warning and working through? Lawfully yeah, terminated. That would have been I would have much preferred the one which was this guy had a concern, he drives a bus, he picks up kids, what's going on in his brain, why is he like that? I would have liked to have known that. I think part of it was probably retaliation because he filed a workers' comp claim, Andrew. Yeah. That's something that's not in my notes here, but he, I really like it. He had workers' comp claim. Better read it. Yeah, remember, Nina is the dark side in our conversations. <laughs> Next thing is a case called Work Cover in Queensland and Singh. This is not a particularly surprising case. It's a case about a guy who bought a workers' comp claim and then sought damages of $750,000 because he's incapable of working. Yeah. For 19 months he said he didn't work. And what, work when, what happened? Because this is we're firing names. Oh, so you can see a dorsal thing just growing out the back. Workers' comp angers me so much because I feel like it always gets accepted. But in this case, for the 19 months, he had made $70,000 from working for Uber, Uber Eats, Woolworths, and they got CCD fee footage of him bending out down to pick up stock. So clearly was trying to defraud the insurer. Which is a crime. Yeah, it is definitely a crime. And he was charged with 15 months imprisonment. And, and sentence. He was charged. Uh, sorry, and <laughs> sentence, yeah. I'm just too angry. She never did um, criminal law. And he <laughs> actually tried to appeal it because his excuse was it was excessive because he tried to pay the money back, which obviously they were never going to appeal it. He was never going to succeed. So he's done. But I want this case on here for a different <laughs> reason. <laughs> Often there's scuttlebutt on the work floor about someone who puts in a workers' comp claim, and as a result of that, people go out and they do surveillance. Now, surveillance... Two things I want to say about surveillance. Get someone who's good at it. Yeah. That, that's one thing. And two. And discreet. And discreet. <laughs> Unlike Canaan and DP World, which is a man hanging over a fence like yeah. this with a video camera. But also make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. Because yeah. if you don't, it's obviously a terrible thing to, yeah. to breach that level of trust with an employee. So in Canaan, there's a guy who they thought was doing a workers' comp fraud. They videoed him walking around, driving his car, working Lifting on his car. Lifting the bonnet of his yeah. car or something All like of that. which was within his work restrictions as said by a doctor. And they had very clear medical evidence yeah. that said he wasn't fit for the work he was doing but was clearly fit for the things they videoed him doing and then terminated yeah. his unfair dismissal claim. And they lost badly. They lost badly and they got a kicking also in relation to surveillance law in, in, in Queensland where it occurred. So can I just remind you, don't listen to Scuttlebutt. Before you get engaged someone to do surveillance, A, get someone who's going to be good at it, B, ensure the insurer supports you in that and they'll probably seek to use one of their panel people mm-hmm. and have objective evidence that the what you're asking to be done, yeah. that it's reasonable and true because if it all blows up, you're allowed to say, well, we did it for a reasonable basis. Mm-hmm. So the fact that someone puts in a psychological claim doesn't mean they can't walk down the road and have coffee in the morning. No. Okay? It doesn't mean they have to hide in a dark room. And yet I've been approached on that base on a number of occasions. This guy's got a claim in, and look, he was seen down the street shopping the other day. Well, depression doesn't stop you from shopping. All right. 
Yeah, keep going. Keep, keep going. going. <laughs> so keep going. All right, I will keep going. We've seen a rash of ca- a rash of cases, three cases, <laughs> rash of cases around hospitals. Yeah, real where, focus by works. Though. Yeah, it is a real, and we've seen some very interesting sort of judgments. The most interesting one is the Bendigo Health, which a hundred thousand dollar fine went in, which was an unfortunate incident of a suicidal patient mm-hmm. who'd used plastic bags as a mechanism to do that. Yeah, on a couple of occasions. And the hospital had failed to remove plastic bags and had proper supervision around it, look really hard at dealing with patients in acute mental health wards. Their access to opportunities are uh, endless, endless, but they failed at the most basic level. Yeah, they didn't tell their contractors to remove the plastic bags. No, but then we see St Vincent's Services who won at the Court of Appeal, which is an interesting case of an elderly gentleman in an aged care facility who went for a walk probably wasn't all that safe going for a walk, end up in an excavation ditch or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 100 um, metres away from the age. Yeah, yeah, first instance they were charged and fined a significant amount and then the court said, well, wait a second, court of appeal, reasonably practical means something. What was the risk they would have known and what was the control that you complain of? And work safe's biggest problem in this is there a lack of attention to detail. Yeah, which is pretty common. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take that dorsal fin away. <laughs> Which shows you don't just roll over for WorkSafe because so commonly they're failure to look at what are the proper controls and to actually analyse reasonable practicability means you have a very good argument to defend a claim. Had this been pitched correctly, St Vincent's were lost. Yeah. But it just wasn't. And we talked to you last week, I've forgotten, I think it was the Alexander Bay Centre case. No, it was, yeah, the Sydney Local Health. Oh, Sydney Local Health, the yeah. case, another health-related thing. So what we're seeing around mental health, Risks of injury to others. We're seeing this growth in one of the most difficult markets to manage that, which is a hospital setting where more and more people come there with acute illness because they're not managed for general illness anymore because of the shortages in hospitals and the shortage of staff. And, again, the hospitals are not pleading or arguing correctly their resource capacity. So so it's really an easy target for WorkSafe. I'm probably going to see more of these. Now let's talk about the gender pay gap. Yeah. All right, that's why we, partly why we're here today. And I, I guess what I want to start this conversation with is a very simple thing. At the moment, we have three phenomena which are well known. There are more women in the workforce than men, who, and at the moment they're mainly underemployed. In other words, yeah. want more employment. Two, we have a talent shortage, 450,000 jobs that can't presently be fulfilled. In the university education, women represent a higher performance level at university than men generally. And we've got a gender pay gap, which, as I understand, Nina, and you're, is not very large in the younger ages, up to 34, but in the post-childbearing ages it's and the higher skilled it grows. Yeah. So what, what is, and what is the figures and the trends in it? So at the moment it's 14.1%, which means that it takes women at least six months of extra working to get the same annual salary as men. And it's actually increased by 0.3% in the last six months alone. Unfortunately, it was on a downward trend, but COVID really has just reversed the whole thing, which, as we all know, understandably, a lot of women chose to take on more of the caring responsibilities. And men also then were able to work flexibly, Mm. which meant that they stepped into the role that women could which owned before, which was yeah. a flexible workplace, which further alienated women yeah. again. And it gets sort of worse and worse depending on which state you're in, doesn't it? Yeah, WA has the worst, which... 22%. Yeah, it's pretty 
understandable though because of how much male driven jobs they have there there's a real focus on mining and as we all know there's real barriers for women accessing those jobs i think it's worse in the private sector than the public sector as well and of course the last thing is when we look at the highest level jobs so let's look at ceos and the asx it'll be a hundred years at yeah. this present rate before women reach 40 percent representation know, that's so that's all pretty scary stuff and you're there saying look that's wrong it's morally wrong it's about to become legally wrong as the monitoring improves around it. But it's also dumb. Yeah, it really is because, like, businesses don't understand what this actually means practically. There's so much of an untapped market out there. If we just fix some of these problems, you would just have access to so much new talent. Well, look at at our, our business. When you look at all the practice group leaders and two out of the three members of our as, yes, two out of our three members of executive, all women, all who work part-time. Two out of the are not women. That's yeah, that's right. That's yeah. Not, that's the rest right. are women. The rest yeah. are there's a lot of women. <laughs> yeah. But part of that is actually building a structure which actually provides them the level of support to do it. But they are a remarkable group of people who deliver great service to our business, which we couldn't replicate. Yeah. But we understood at the beginning, part that, that's our ethos, are, but also that if you build a flexible work process and you do the right job construction, actually can have leaders who work four days a week and do it very successfully. So the answer behind all of this stuff is if you want to attract great talent and if you want to retain talent in an environment where we are talent short, why wouldn't you pay equity? And I think your comment when we were in in the green room for one of a better name (laughs) at the cafe was isn't it strange how people, when they're recruiting, yeah. go, like, Nina, so how much are you currently on at the thing? And say, I'll oh, give her an extra five. That'll yeah. get her over the line. Rather than go to market and determine what is the fair market rate irrespective of gender. And people do that unknowingly because they think, look, this is what you're making, then I'll add more. That's fair. Without realising that it just exacerbates the gender pay gap because for women it actually compounds over time. So by doing that, you're actually worsening it for that employee. And imagine the slap in the face. So we're now getting to a stage where you can disclose wages and will be required to not be allowed to ask people to hold it confidentially. And imagine the three women who are being paid less suddenly learning that their peers are being paid 14% more just because they're yeah. boys. They might be less skilled, less experienced. Yeah, yeah. so... What I can say to you is the fix of this is really simple. Set pays based on market. I'm not saying have positive obligations of inserting women to role, but go on merit. Mm. And be flexible about the way you engage people. Monitor, because you are going to be obliged to monitor increasingly the gender pay gap. Where you got it wrong, fix it and yeah, tell people. Don't ignore it because mm. it's coming. And when and you do you that, do you it. create that brand where people will come to you and you will be one of the few industries that has a full complement of staff while other people are struggling. Yeah. So that's not a rant, but it was getting close to at the end, wasn't it? Because yeah. yeah. it just seems so simple to it us. It does seem simple, doesn't it? <laughs> okay, well, we're going to go on now to the case study. It's a long one you did. It is a long one. <laughs> All right. Now, don't read really long, Andrew. I've got a couple of words in here for you too, by the way. Oh, really? Siobhan. Her name is Siobhan. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, just, I, I, just, I just wasn't sure you'd get it. That's All right. right. Jerry had worked as a receptionist at Dremore Council, a small regional council in Western Victoria. Fictitious, may I add. I made it up. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
for nine years. She had two children, one age three and the other six, and had taken two years of parental leave, one for each child. Since having her second child, Jerry worked 32.5 hours each weekday for 6.5 hours per day and was paid $64,000 per year pro rata. Jerry was chosen for the job in part because of her linguistic skills, as many of the people working in the fruit industry were first and second generation Italian from Calabria. It was not uncommon for the elderly Italian men and women to attend the council to complain about rate payments and other council services. The reason why was simple. None of the council services were translated, which created misunderstandings. Jerry's co-worker, Neil, was a 24-year-old man and was paid $72,000 because he could work full-time. However, he had no linguistic skills, so whenever these angry and distressed people would enter the offices, Neil would refer them to Jerry. This meant they would often have to wait for her to start work, becoming increasingly agitated. Jerry would then have to de-escalate the situation and manage some of the old men who resented seeking help from a woman. They were often hard of hearing and at times abusive and aggressive. Jerry spoke to her boss, Siobhan, in February 2022 to raise some safety concerns. There was no method to stop abuse other than to press the panic button which brought security. There was no method of her safely retreating from irate ratepayers. It was an open, freestanding desk that allowed people to come around when she was standing and these problems arose daily and she was struggling to cope. In addition, Jerry's first child was school-aged now, so she needed to leave an hour earlier to collect him from school. She also wanted to drop a day to de-stress from her work and wondered what Neil got paid as she wanted a raise because of her special skill. Siobhan explained that they needed her to deal with the Italian ratepayers. If she couldn't work full-time, she couldn't get the higher pay Neil was on, and if she was concerned about her safety, she could walk away from the table and go down the passage through a locked door to take a break. This was a five-metre unprotected walk. Unhappy, Jerry wrote to Lynette, the COO, to explain why she was concerned and that Siobhan's response had not been adequate. Lynette replied to say that she would make some inquiries and get back to her. Three months passed without a response. By the way, that was my father's line when he didn't want to do anything, so let me make some inquiries. Oh, gosh. And that means he was going to do nothing. Hey, you say that too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't come back to you. <laughs> In that three-month period, Jerry wrote out seven incidents reports of verbally abusive behaviour towards her and sent them to HR, Safety, Siobhan and Lynette. Siobhan would follow up each time to comfort her and say her safety meant everything to Dremore. And on 22nd of August, two young men affected by drugs entered the office. They verbally and physically abused Jerry, causing serious injury before security had time to intervene. Now, they didn't drop a packet of white powder in the casino. <laughs> they were actually affected by drugs. <laughs> okay. Scan the QR code. <laughs> or download it if you're old Gosh. style. Gosh. Oh, my God. I swear the case that is getting darker. Where are you getting this material from? <laughs> uh, somewhere in my brain. Oh, I hope so. It's not somewhere where am, I, where am I getting it from, Dave? I don't know. <laughs> by the way, if you have any names for the koala, we'd like it. Yeah, yeah, Kuj we, we, is yeah, Kuj, the nickname for my father, which I gave him at the age of five because, like me, he was bald. <laughs> and his hair used to stick up and look like a koala, so I called him Kuj the koala. <laughs> Got into lots of trouble, but it's, ever since that time, my brother and I have exchanged koala gifts. Oh. <laughs> and now my kids, and this is one of my kids, has sent me another koala. So It's perfect. It's like the mascot. It is, it is. But we'd, we'd like some names. So if you give us some suggestions for the names so we can move away from Kuj, that would be good. <laughs> Partly for my late dad, I'd prefer we didn't refer to him. It's just Quidge the Beard, <laughs> although I think he'd like it. All right, here we go. So the first 
question is, could Siobhan and Lynette be liable for reckless endangerment? So let's just talk, remember what the principles are. Was there a risk of serious injury or death? The answer yes. is absolutely yes. And they knew of it? Yeah, mm -hmm. they knew of it. Were they careless? In other words, knowing of those circumstances, did they not do anything that was reasonable to respond to it? Yeah. They waited three months and then each time something happened, they were like, oh, we care about you. But that was it. Yeah. So the, the trick with the reckless endangerment is people think that carelessness, which is has both a subjective and object, objective in the term of what is happening, what is occurring, and subjective as in a demonstration of the person's intention. What you've got here is people who do a little bit, but that's not what recklessness is not about. They're saying, but you knew the risk and you didn't take you know, sufficient control yeah. to prevent that from occurring. Now, both the officer, Lynette, and the supervisor could be liable. This is five years jail, $3 million or $600,000 fine individually. This is a substantial one and it is a perfect case study on what is reckless endangerment. Next thing, was Jerry's pays and conditions discriminatory? Yeah, I understand she was. 100%. Like, she was more skilled. I don't think I've ever heard a judge say that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, they should. More skilled. Well, they're saying no, coffee, no, no paper coffee cups. 100% like no coffee cups. <laughs> but, yeah, unquestionably, they say that. They do say unquestionably. But it was definitely discriminatory. Mark, Rob, we'll come back to you. See, that's the problem not being able to download the Slido. Mark can't see it all. That's an outrage. That's right. <laughs> well, we're answering the question right now. All right. All right. So, yes, it was clearly discriminatory, you know, and the facts behind it are clearly gender-related. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, this is a case of indirect discrimination, which you don't often see, because they've created a rule around pay which benefits men because of their gender who are more likely to be able to do full-time rather than part-time. Yeah. So the purpose of me writing this was to show the difference between direct discrimination, I'm paying you less because you're a woman, to indirect discrimination, which is setting a rule which disadvantages somebody with a particular attribute. So child, So the two ones here are child you know, caring responsibilities yep. and gender. Yep. So definitely indirect discrimination. Was Dramone's refusal to alter Jerry's work arrangements discriminatory. Yes. So there were two parts of it. One was to reduce the hours and the second one was to do less hours overall to reset. Difficult question. I forgot to raise this with you, which is why you're looking bemused. The reducing by an hour, definitely discriminatory. The not providing the extra day off, different discussion altogether, okay? But she needs the extra day off to do with her mental health. Isn't that discriminating? Against well, you're absolutely right. And doing this on the run, you're doing very well. The issue is do you have sufficient objective evidence on that? That she's the, she's struggling with her. Yeah, I think so. Okay. There I, you would, go. I would fight you on this, Andrew. No, you'd, you'd fight me on everything, <laughs> yeah. Nina, and that would not be a change. <laughs> Does Jerry have a good general protections claim? Yes. A winner, doesn't yeah. she? She'd have the best general protection claim ever, I would Yeah, thought. and as soon as she you know, put in her facts that she was attacked as well. So there's the there's no one safety law, breaches, yeah. breaches of safe working environment, failure to monitor health. So you've got all those legal obligations of workplace rights. Yeah. You've got actually protected attributes and discrimination law. Made complaints as yeah. well. Yeah, you've got it all, really, so perfect claim. Was Jermaine's refusal to alter the length of Jerry's shift to care for school-aged child a breach of Section 65 of the Fair Work Act, which is the... Flexible work arrangement. Now, a lot of people think and that's for the reason this is in here, that only relates to when a person returns from parental leave. But actually when you look at the structure of the section, what it says is it breaches this if you do one of these conditions and then it goes on to talk about times when you are 
retaining from parental leave. So there's yeah. two different things it deals with. There is absolutely no doubt this is a breach of that section. Yeah, because it covers school-aged children. Yeah, and you've got to understand when you breach this section, it's not just a civil wrong, this spits out penalties. So I wanted to put that in because I think a lot of people don't understand. There is a business case, Section 4 or Subsection 4 or 3, I think, sets out what are the business rules that you've got to suggest in terms of to protect your position. But in most cases, people go, I just don't think I can make this work. Yeah. And that's actually not the test. I don't no, think I can make this work. It has to be reasonable work. business grounds. Yeah. yeah. So I think they would be almost impossible for them to, to succeed, to, sorry, to defend the claim against Section 65. And I think they'd find themselves in the Federal Court or Federal Magistrates Court looking down the barrel at some nasty penalties as well. Yeah, and the government's about to actually strengthen the flexible work arrangements in the Fair Work Act. So... Yeah. Can I just say, the, let's go back to the job summit thing very briefly that we've done for you. We actually, there is a video that talks about it. One of the things they are going to do in relation to the gender gap, to the extent they're doing anything about it, is they are going to strengthen those punitive provisions that allow people to take action around discrimination, harassment and flexible conditions. So we'll, see, we'll see a sharpening of that coming up. Now, we're almost out of time. Thank you. I think we've got King Charles for the koala. What else have we got? No, I think that's it. There was a... Bert from Kate. Okay, well, we need more. We need more next time. We expect more names. Now, can you show your appreciation, please, because I'm hungover and tired <laughs> and old. So any clapping, applause, yeah. hearts, please, would, hearts would be nice. Yeah. Hearts would be nice. And I'll see you all in six weeks. Yeah, she's going yeah. away. Yeah, very excited. <laughs> so it's Kim and I next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.